Blog Talk Radio. Kingway, Fox, Peter, Locke is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempex that, Q has had enough of that, beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe with that incredibly awesome theme song. That means it's time for Trek Talk, and it's Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and... We are live. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We would love to hear from you. Uh, we have a gorgeous show for you guys tonight, and we'd love to hear from you. Anyways, before we get too far into the festivities, let me introduce to you my awesome Trek experts, and we'll start out with our trifecta from Portland. First of all, we have the donut guy, David. How you doing, David? Pretty good, pretty good. What kind of donuts you eating tonight? Tribbles. Tribble? <laughs> Tribbles. Uh, there's not much meat on them, though, but that's okay. We'll, we'll let it pass. <laughs> and we also have, from Portland, the wine guy, Paul. How you doing, Paul? I am doing good, my friend. Everything is in harmonious alignment. I feel good things are waiting in the wings to burst you, forth. You know, first of all, I had we had Obi-Wan, then we had Strange New Worlds and Stranger Things all drop in the same week. What more could you want? I mean, really. I'm on no, overload I said, here. You're right there, baby. I, and I've said it before. It's just like if you would have gone back in time and told my teenage self that there would be a day when you would have a Obi-Wan Kenobi and a Captain Pike TV series in the same week, I would have never in a million years believed future self. So it's kind of amazing, <laughs> these, the era we live in. I don't know that everybody really appreciates the awesomeness of it, but uh, – <laughs> But uh, Teenage Paul sure remembers it, and I sure appreciate it. It's out of control. We have uh, an avalanche of riches. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. And wrapping up the trifecta, of course, as always, we have our very own Eric. How you doing, Eric? I am doing great. The sun is shining, the birds are singing, and I'm going to have a good time tonight. We are definitely going (laughs) to have fun for sure. And let's let's jump over to Las Vegas and say hello to our very own Sub Commander Charles. How you doing, Charles? I'm doing good. It's definitely a Gorn day at 99. Wow. So ready to talk Trek, but yeah, I'm getting too horny. Def- no, we're we're definitely Gorn in the USA for sure. I can tell you that. I was Gorn to run. 
And who are you going to call? Gorn Busters, because I'm top Gorn tonight, and we are going to run with it. So you guys want to hang around for that. Uh, we're going to be talking, obviously, if you haven't figured out, Star Trek Strange New Worlds dropped an episode on us last week called Memento Mori. And guess who's back? Who's back? Tell me, Eric, who's back? The Gorn. The Gorn. Gorn are here. Um, so we're going to talk about the Gorn. Absolutely talk about the Gorn. We have a lot of Gorn to cover. But before we get to the Gorn, we have our usual to talk about. We have a convention calendar for you guys. We have our fan shout outs for you guys. And we have our Star Trek birthdays. And uh, if you'd like to hear yourself on a fan shout out, all you got to do is head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out. At the top of the page, you'll see the Live Long and Prosper, and just drop us a line and tell us where you're listening from. If you see a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim, then you want to tune in because your name is going to be mentioned for the whole global community to hear so that everybody knows you listen to Trek Talking and you're a Star Trek fan. So, Eric, why don't you get us started with our fan shout-outs for this week? Uh, Jim, we are all over the planet today. It's so exciting. Our very first fan shout out this week goes out to Dean Nalewaha from Minnesota, Upper Midwest. Hello, Dean. Thanks for listening to us from the center of the country. Really appreciate it. We're also saying hello this week to David Aguilera, who is who is checking in on us all the way from Teguigalpa. Honduras, Honduras. I don't remember a lot of Hondurans listening to us in the past. So, David, you are one among few. Thank you so much for supporting our podcast. We're also saying hello this week to Johannes Grabartz from Leverkusen, Germany, another German supporter right in the middle of Europe there. Thank you, Johannes, for listening to us. Alan Hanlin, we'd like to say a big kapla to you all the way over in Stranraer, Southwest Scotland, and you give us a little Scottish flag there. Thank you, Alan, for listening to us. And last on my shout-out list this week is Thilani Samarasinha, all the way from Sri Lanka. Thilani, thank you for listening to us so much. Charles, who would you like to say hello to this week? Let's start off. Top fan, James Maynard from Tucson, Arizona. It's a desert city full of scientists where places of learning are held at the utmost regard, especially Vulcan with cactus. Well, I thought that was a good good description of Tucson. I didn't realize there was so much science there, but, man, sounds like a place we got to visit. Karen Barber Polowaka from Midwest, Illinois. Audrey Miles from Atlanta. I'm assuming you're in Georgia. I'm not sure if there's another Atlanta in the U.S., but could be. Chris Smith from Ohio, USA. And Raul Madrid Madrid from this county, Spain. Paul, who's on your list? Well, we are indeed traversing the entire globe, it seems, this week, friends. We have all kinds of fabulous folk who have been listening and have taken some time to weigh in and say hello. 
from distant lands. First owl, a mighty kapla to Eric Soderstrom. He is from a small town in the North Swedish countryside. He doesn't identify it, but I'm wondering if it might perhaps be Kiruna or someplace in those uh, vicinities. But Eric, thank you for listening and for reaching out to us. Also, a huge thank you uh, further south on the other hemisphere to Fabio Fernandes in Brazil. Thank you for listening and thank you for your kind words. Uh, moving back, we're just jumping back and across different continents here today. Now we are over here into Nijmegen in the Netherlands to Patrick van der Biegelaar. Thank you so much for uh, reaching out and uh, all the best to you. Uh, in Portugal, the new village of Gaia in Porto, uh, Jorge Guimarães Silva. Thank you so much for listening. And in the magnificent metropolis that is Mexico City, absolute great greetings to Carlos Gardel La Marque Melo. Thank you all for taking time to chime in and say hello. We always love hearing from you, regardless of where you plant your flag. Jim, who are you going to say hello to today? Anybody in the great state of New York? No, not this time, but close. Uh, we want to say kapla to top fan Barbara Cooper, who's in West Atlanta, Georgia. We want to say live long and prosper to Jim Kirk in Iowa. What? I, 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 thought he, <laughs> I thought that he was from Iowa, but he just worked in outer space. Yeah, that's that's yeah. my understanding too. And he's a couple. He's he's probably a couple hundred years too early here, right? At least a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So thanks for listening to Jim Kirk. We'd also like to say thank you to Jay Wilson. I'm from Limeyland, or as it's otherwise known, England. Thank you for listening, Jay. We'd also like to say live long and prosper to Kristen Howe, Venezuela, from Massachusetts. That's not too far. That's a New England state, so that's kind of in my vicinity. And last but not least, we want to say kapla to Dean Nalawaja from Minnesota. That's our second Minnesota in person from our list, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Same person. Same Eric, person, actually. So we said hi to Dean twice. Hello, Dean. Twice, yeah. Nice see you again. So, <laughs> listen, guys, we, we got to wrap up our fan shout-outs, but don't worry. We also have coming up next our Star Trek birthdays, so don't touch that dial. Run to the kitchen, get your chicken wings. We'll be right back. Trek Talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back, and it's time for our Star Trek birthdays. So uh, before we do our Star Trek birthdays, though, we always take a moment to remember those of our Star Trek family who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, our very first remembrance this week goes oh, out yeah, to... Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I you forgot like something. You, you, you know why? You know, I'm going to tell you why. Because I'm old and old senile. And senile. I am old and senile. Okay, that is the truth. I'm old and senile. Why am I old right. and senile? Because yesterday, yesterday, 
I turned 57. So, yes, I am very old and very senile, and it's starting to show. Okay, there. Now all you guys know. So so let's play the birthday song. That was not a Klingon song. There. Now we can do our remembrances. <laughs> I feel like now we have had the proper introduction here. So, yeah, uh, let's get into our remembrances this week. So we are remembering this week five members of our Star Trek community who have gone before us. And uh, coincidentally, they are all people that we have lost in the last three years, unfortunately. So uh, our first remembrance this week goes out to actor Kevin Conway, who, of course, is best known in the Star Trek world as playing the great Kalos. Uh, and his clone uh, in TNG's episode, Rightful Heir. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, he has a connection to one of my favorite authors. In 1980, he starred as Dr. William Haber uh, in a for-television movie adaptation of Ursula K. Le Guin's novel, The Lathe of Heaven, which is a great book. Uh, I've never seen the TV adaptation, though. Uh, but Kevin Conway would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday to Kevin. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Michael John Pollock Jr., uh, a name that may sound familiar. Uh, He has been around the way uh, or was around the way uh, prior to his 2019 departure from us. Uh, But in the Star Trek world, he's best known as playing Jan in TOS's episode Miri. Uh, He's the babyface guy who I believe was playing something like a 15-year-old in that episode, but he was actually like 27 years old. Um, interesting actor who played many, many parts, over 100 credits of his name uh, throughout his career. So happy birthday to Michael Pollock. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Ivy Bethuen, who, of course, played Duana in TNG's episode, When the Bow Breaks. Uh, Ivy, a great actress, probably best known uh, for another one of our favorite science fiction franchises. Uh, she's known for her role as Ma Peabody. 1985's Back to the Future, starring other uh, Star Trek alumni such as Christopher Lloyd and Leah Thompson and others. Uh, So Ivy Bethuen would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday to her. We're also saying happy birthday, and this is a big one, uh, one that I felt uh, personally hit me a little bit hard uh, when it happened, uh, because uh, this is simply one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek. Uh, René Aubergenois, of course, best known for his role of Odo in Deep Space Nine. Um, We just lost him in 2019. He would have had a birthday this week. And just great actor. Uh, I mean, all over the place, right, guys? I mean, uh, Broadway credits. uh, Benson, back in the day, known for Boston Legal. Robert Altman's um, MASH. Robert Altman's MASH. Uh, I mean, so, so many Uh, things. A vet, man. A vet. More Broadway productions than you can shake a stick at. He was a theater legend. That's the one that I kind of knew him from other than Deep Space Nine was I'm I'm a theater guy and he's just so well known for all of his myriad roles that he's played throughout time. So, uh, well, I got to tell you that him and I share a birthday. His birthday uh, was yesterday as well. So uh, we share a birthday, but I know him. Of course, I already told you I'm old, but I know him from a 1976 movie called King Kong. Anybody ever see that remake? 
With <laughs> Jeff the Bridges. Charles Grodin version, man, with Jeff Bridges, uh, totally. Yeah, with Bridges. Well, Renee is in it. He's the guy on Skull Island that finds the oil on the planet. And he's the one that but tells him, well. he's like the geologist, well, right? Like he's the oil yeah. company geologist guy, yeah. And he tells him, look, there's a ton of oil here, but unfortunately – you got to wait another thousand years before you can burn it. So it's worthless to you. That's him. <laughs> so Unfortunately, yeah. it comes from these dinosaurs, and the dinosaurs are still alive. Sorry, man. Yeah, sorry, but you can't use it. <laughs> well, I've got to tell you a funny yeah, story about Renee. We're oh, down, yeah. We went down to a convention down in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, where uh, my good friend Mark Lee is from. Uh, where they, they do conventions down there called Shore Leaf. And we're staying at our hotel, and we're walking out of the lobby of the, in the hotel to get into our car to go to the convention. And who do we bump into in the lobby but Renee? He was getting in the car to go to the convention that we were going to to see him at. And he was staying at our hotel, and we stopped in the lobby, you know, just chatted a little bit, said hello, blah, 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 blah. And we said, we'll see you at the convention. And he got in the car and left, and we got in our car and followed him over. He was a pretty cool dude. So that's my Renee very story. Cool. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. I love all these little uh, touches with stardom, uh, little little vicarious moments we can live through you, Jim. Thanks for telling all those little <laughs> stories. They're really fun. Uh, so, yeah, big big loss. Renee uh, lost a few years ago. I would have had a birthday this week. So happy birthday to Renee Auberginois. We're also saying, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, MASH and, uh, and other great things from the 70s and, and later on, um, our last birthday this week uh, has a Star Trek connection, but you may better know her as uh, Hot Lips Houlihan. Um, Sally Kellerman would have had a birthday this week. She, of course, in Star Trek fandom is known as Elizabeth Denner from TOS's episode Where No Man Has Gone Before. Uh, but definitely, I think, made her name in the 1970 film MASH uh, alongside people like Renee uh, Auberginois and John Shuck and Fred Williamson and others uh, along the way. So uh, Sally Kellerman would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday to her and happy birthday to everyone who's gone before us from our Star Trek community. Uh, we celebrate your lives and, uh, and we miss you. Charles, you I imagine, would like to kick off our birthdays of those who are still with us. Well, yes, I would. Let's start off with Ray Burke, who played Ren in TNG's Haven. Richard Lee Jackson played Danny Webb in DS9's Past Tense 1 and 2. Paula Malcolmson played Madeline Reed in Enterprise's Silent Enemy. Al Al Rodrigo played Bernardo Bernardo Calvera in DS9's Past Tense 1 and 2 also and also Durango also played oh, oh excuse me Played Durango in LDS's Moist Vessel. Speaking of LDS, Commander, who is Jackson Slayer? Oh, you LDS fans know him very well. We call him Maggie. 
super choppy. I, I was not getting much. I'm just going to charge ahead and hope that hope that I'm coming through and that you all can hear me all right. So we'll see what oh, happens. Yeah. I can hear you just fine. Okay, great. Thank you so much. First of all, a massive happy birthday to, I would call her <laughs> a legend, frankly, Lee Merriweather, who we know from the classic uh, Star Trek original series episode, That Which Survives where she played Locera. Now, you know who I'm talking about, right? She's basically wearing the I Dream of Jeannie costume, and she just oh, yeah. pops into existence out of a, a vertical line. And if she walks up to you and says, I am for you, <laughs> Mr. Carson, you'd better run out of the room as fast as you can before she touches you or you're going to disappear or, you know, your all of your atoms will explode or whatever it was but uh that great character very uh, indelible in the minds of many also famous for playing numerous numerous other roles uh I, probably most famously uh she played with one of the i think at least three actresses to play the role of catwoman on the classic uh, original Batman series with Adam West. So she was also in the the Batman movie, if anyone's seen that before, where she played uh, Catwoman. So uh, a real classic, a legend of the silver screen. Uh, She's just did everything. So much work. uh, It's just unbelievable. So uh, (laughs) thank you, my dear, for all of your wonderful contributions to uh, the land of, uh, of theater and TV. It's wonderful. Another happy birthday to uh, Melissa Young, who played uh, the character of Caprice on the Deep Space Nine episode, Our Man Bashir. I think folks remember that one really well. Uh, felicitations and a happy birthday to Chris C.S. Violette, uh, character of uh, Bridge Wheaton on Discovery's episode, The Vulcan Hello, Battle at the Binary Stars, and Despite Yourself. So a trifecta of appearances for that character. Apologize for the background noise there, folks. I don't know where that's coming from. Uh, happy birthday to Mark A. Shepard uh, from the Voyager episode Child's Play, who played the character Liu Khan. Uh, happy birthday to Nicole Avery Nikki Cox, played the character of Sarjenka in the Next Gen episode Pen Pals. Watched that recently. Very entertaining. And finally for me, Happy birthday to Anthony Montgomery, a.k.a. fan fave Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise. Happy birthday to you all. I now pass the mighty candled birthday caker slicer to my friend Jim. Jim, who are you greeting today? 
my goodness. Well, you know what? I think this is the first time that, that I can recall in a very, very long time that we had more birthdays than Eric. Yeah, it's I kind think. of a light week. Yeah, Yeah. usually Eric has like 10 or 12, and we might have that many between us. But this time, this week, it was just the opposite. It was very light for Eric, which is good, because that means yeah. not a lot of Star Trek family members have left us. But it's just odd that that worked, that that happened. So, yeah. All right. Well, anyways, guys, we want to say happy birthday to Natalie Norwick, who played Martha Layton in TOS's Conscience of the King. Um I'm trying to, I can't see if, uh, uh, conscious of the king. We also want to say, speaking of Spock last, uh, last Monday, we did the IGROC Spock show and, uh, Eric mentioned how many different people have played Spock, right? Well, okay. we have one of them on our birthday calendar this week. We want to say happy birthday to Jacob Kogan, who played young Spock in Star Trek's 2009 movie. Happy birthday to Jacob. We also want to say happy birthday to Colleen and Marin Thornton, who played the Barber series Androids in TOS's episode I Mud. You guys remember that one, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Charles, do you remember I Mud? I remember I Mud. I remember the sisters. Yep. Good. Good. And we also want to say happy birthday to Joan Pringle, who played Rihanna Mayweather, Enterprises, Horizon. That was Ensign Mayweather's mother. And I got some good ones here. Speaking of Back to the Future, we want to say happy birthday to Leah Thompson, who played Diane Werner in Picard's Fly Me to the Moon. She was also, obviously, in Back to the Future. She was also in Howard the Duck, one of my cheesy favorites. And Love she it. also directed uh, the two episodes, of the, which titles escape me right now, of Star Trek mm. Picard, where we see the Borg Queen for the first time when she crawls across the floor. I forgot the title of those episodes. But anyways, she directed those two episodes. So happy birthday to Leah Thompson. And uh, yeah, speaking of Spock, I've got another one. I've got two Spocks on my list tonight. We want to say happy birthday to Zachary Quinto, who plays Spock in the Kelvin Universe movies. He also did a short-lived show, remake of a show that Leonard Nimoy did called, what was it called, uh, Charles? In Search Of. That's right, In Search Of. And we were, we were reviewing In Search Of on the podcast when, it, when uh, Zachary was doing it. Not a bad series. Uh, so mm-hmm. happy birthday to Zachary Quinto. Now, I don't have any Klingons this week. All right. But I do have a birthday for somebody from one of my favorite movies that did have Klingons in it, but she's not a Klingon. But she does hang out with a Klingon. So that kind of works. Uh, we want to say happy birthday to Cynthia Gow, who played the Romulan ambassador, Caitlin Dar in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, which... If you guys have listened to the podcast in the past, no, that is my favorite Star Trek movie. It's my go-to movie. And I'm not kidding. It is. And so happy birthday to Cynthia Gow. And that wraps up our birthdays, guys. So uh, without any further ado, we're going to take another very quick yet very important commercial break. And when we come back, 
we're going to dive right into our convention calendar. And what do I want to take us to commercial with this week? How about GM Chris? This is Chris from Trek Talking and Beyond here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction themed podcast on the internet. Our elite team of Trek experts are here to discuss Star Trek and other sci fi related content, and we want to hear from you. Dial 646 668 2433 on Thursday nights from 7 30 to 9 30 p.m. on East Coast time. Hailing frequencies are always open and we'll get you on the air to share your opinions. We have faith you will call. Now, who's and that? Great speaking voice. Who did that? That's GM Chris. GM Chris is a friend of ours who used to be on the podcast. Uh, we know GM Chris through many, many different channels. I think Jim actually knows him independently from how I know him. I know him through both the Star Trek Attack Wing world. Uh, he used to run a, a great YouTube page called the uh, Wandering Inn, uh, yeah. where he where he did like a uh, campaign style uh, attack wing sort of things. And then later um, Chris and I became friends and I actually played a sort of text online version through discord of Star Trek adventures for a number of years with him. So Chris is a good mm. friend of the podcast. He just has not been on in a number of years himself. Get back on here, dude. Your speaking voice is awesome. So you're, <laughs> you're made for radio. Get on here. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> I used to do a, a Star Trek Attack Wing uh, video on YouTube with Captain Stu. And yep. when we were doing Attack Wing, I reached out to him and said, hey, why don't you and Captain Stu come on the podcast and we'll talk about Attack Wing. And it turned out to be our biggest, most popular podcast date. So I said, well, you definitely got to come back on the podcast. So he became a regular co-host on the podcast with me. This is this, this uh, predates pretty much everybody. Um, so, yeah, he's been around yeah. with us for a long time. Yeah, uh, the wandering in is one of the ways that I made my way to this podcast, actually, because um, I, hmm. I was playing Attack Wing, started watching Wandering In, somehow through Facebook or something, found my way to Trek Talking, started listening, and, and here we are today. Yeah, interesting. Cool. Good promo, though. Sorry to interrupt. That's had to know. <laughs> what a tangled web we weave, huh? Yeah, something about me. I like to find out the, the, you know, root around in the sock drawer of Trek talking and find out the deep history, right? You know, There's it's a, a veritable, very deep history. It's a veritable mycelial network of information. Oh! Whoa! That one out. Wow. <laughs> that was gorntastic, actually. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> I had that one saved up. I knew I was going to pull it up, put Gorn pull it out of my hat. <laughs> and, and you done Gorn did. All oh, right, man. guys, well, guess what time it is. It's time for convention, 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 convention. Calendar, 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 calendar. All right, guys, it's time for convention calendar. And for that, we're going to turn to Eric, and he's going to get us started with this week's convention calendar. What do you got for us, Eric? Oh, man, we have got conventions spanning uh, a great number of cities and a great number or a great amount of time, which I'm very excited about. Uh, first, we're checking out Shore Leave, July 15th through the 17th at Delta Hotels, Baltimore, Hunt Valley, in Hunt Valley, Maryland, July 15th through the 17th. Go check out Shore Leave. 
Uh, we're also checking out Congre- Congregate. <laughs> Congregate. I love it. July 24th at the Winston-Salem Marriott in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And uh, last on my list is Pulp Fest, which sounds totally awesome. I would go to that just because of the name. August 4th through the 7th at the beautiful Doubletree by Hilton Hotel in Pitts- uh, at Pittsburgh, Cranberry, in Mars, Pennsylvania, just outside Pits- uh, Pittsburgh there. So, uh, Paul, which are the conventions that you are watching this week? All right, Star Trek fans in the southwestern corner of the United States, strap on your hazmat suits and make a beeline for Bubonicon 2022 in beautiful Albuquerque, New Mexico. Fans who insist on having their robust air conditioning at all times want to make their way to the Marriott Albuquerque locale, August 26th to 28th. So you have plenty of time to plan I'm sure it never gets above 115, 120 tops in late August in Albuquerque. Good golly, Miss Molly. Bubonicon could be literal. I don't know. But sounds like a crazy, crazy time to me. Me, I I like it a little cooler. I'm in moss country. That's That's what I'm planning on staying. Moving a little further north where things are intense and there's never a lack of good food anywhere, you want to go to Chicago in the first week of September, September 1st through 5th for ShyCon 8 and WorldCon, kind of a hybrid con, sounds like to me, September 1st through September 5th at the Hyatt Regency in Chicago, a magnificent town. Let me tell you, if you've never been there, it's worth going for not just the con, but the exploration factor as well. They know what's going on in Chicago. You know, and, Paul, it's, it's my kind of town, really. It's your kind of town, Chicago is. I never doubted that for a minute, Eric. I just do it. <laughs> it it's like it's, it, Chicago's like Rome, right? It feels like it, it was is. designed by, you know, great imperial senators of old who knew that they wanted this to be a city that existed in a mighty landscape well, hundreds of well, years into the future. And, and you know, the, the, that actually goes a little deeper if you really dig into it, because it is also built on the idea of palimpsest, which is this idea of keeping some of the old and just building on top of it rather than completely raising it. So there are places in Chicago where you can explore that underground city that's still there. Woo-hoo. Very cool. And you know what? Buck Rogers, that was Buck Rogers' favorite town, too, from the old Buck Rogers TV show, if you remember. There you go. Yeah. Buck it's a, Rogers it's an, a magnificent city. It really is. I just can't say enough. I've not spent as much time there as I want to, but it's absolutely magnificent. Um, you could never uh, tap the bottom of the museums that Chicago has to offer. It's absolutely great. So really, really, that would be a, a magnificent place to Spend the first week of September doing your sci-fi convention action, rubbing elbows with uh, Klingons and Vulcans and the like, and then just getting to know, uh, and if you are like to eat, <laughs> some of the best oh, Italian food in the world in Chicago. Okay, let's move over a little bit further to the middle of the country here, where folks who know how to do winter well, though uh, by September it's still not really getting a foothold yet, September 2nd through 4th in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Bring a hot dish and come on down to Metacon 2022, September 2nd through September 2nd through 4th at Hyatt Regency, Minneapolis. Not to be confused with Hyatt Regency, Chicago. Okay, don't book your 
tickets at one Hyatt Regency and then go to the con in the other, okay? I don't want you to get confused. It's easy to do. By the end of the week here, we're all a little confused. So two different Hyatts, two different conventions that first weekend of September. It's a travel agent's dream and lots of opportunities to go out there. And now that it's a little bit safer, it kind of seems like the the whole pandemic thing is, is starting to, to lay low a little bit. You still want to be safe. You want to plan carefully. Want to, you know, be socially respectful, but there are more conventions popping up. I expect the ranks of our convention calendar to swell with even more magical opportunities in the weeks to come. Let's turn it over to Jim. Uncle Jim, who are you talking about? Well, we want to tell you guys about a convention called Multiverse. Interesting. I I think of Marvel, Uh, but it's Multiverse, October 14th, 15th, and 16th at the Western Atlanta Perimeter North in Atlanta, Georgia. Next, we have DerpyCon 2022, October 28th through the 30th, at the Hyatt Regency in New Brunswick, New Jersey, another Hyatt Regency. It must be like the convention hotel or something. They have that like the third third or fourth Hyatt Regency? I've been to lots of things at Hyatt's, and they usually have pretty decent rooms. Yeah, so there you go. Hyatt Regency in New Brunswick, New Jersey, October 28th, DerbyCon. And last but definitely not least on my list, we have Pulp Adventure Con, November 5th at Home Two Suites by Hilton in Bordertown, New Jersey. And Charles, what do you want to tell us about this week? Let's start off with Cat Clay. September 30th, October 2nd, Hilton, Washington, D.C., Rockville Hotel and Executive Meeting Center, Rockville, Maryland, LibCon, October 8th, Albedine Public Library, Albedine, Texas, and Mystic Mines, October 8th and 9th at the Holiday Inn, Dublin, Pleasanton, Dublin, California. Sounds like a lot of fun. I don't think we've got Star Trek news this week, so I think Jim's going to send us off to talk about the Gorn. Yes, we have a lot to talk about with the Gorn, but first we've got to take a quick commercial break here. And I'm trying to decide what I want to do because I have so many options at my fingertips here. But I'm going to go with a classic... Um, Yeah, I'm just going to bop this one in for you guys. I I really like it. I think it sounds great. We'll be right back after we hear the Star Trek Discovery Season 5 theme song. Put them in her angel suit. She will never fail to lead her ship on future trips to save the Seru was Starfleet through and through, Burnham sure and true. The crew went all the way that day on a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour. Time travel was very rough, and Burnham paid the cost. That day Seru saved the whole dog crew, but Discovery was lost. Discovery was lost. They splashed the ship right down, you see, in the 32nd century, with Burnham and Mr. Saru. Oh, Wushukun and Edmer, the Emperor, with the Doctor and Samitan, here on Discovery. Here 
my tale of discovery A crew who's not all fine They'll have to do the best they can To fit into this new time Burnham and Captain Saru Will do all that they can To take care of their crew You see and execute the plan New races, world relationships And new technology Discovery was an ancient ship As primitive as in me So turn up on each Thursday night Right here on your TV You never know what you will see Here on Discovery And we're back And you know Eric The more I hear that song The more I like it I'm, I'm telling yeah, it you. sounds like uh, season five might be a little bit of a lighter season for Discovery. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what direction they're going to go in. <laughs> Not so earth-shattering, maybe. <laughs> no, it's gonna. I think it'll be gorn-tastic. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. All right, guys, guess what? We've been waiting, okay? And guess what time it is? It's time to dive into the gorn. But before we do that, I have to play for you guys our little primer to just to get you guys ready. Security officers log, Stardate 3177.3. The Enterprise is currently en route to deliver an atmospheric processor upgrade to Finibus 3. Without our assistance, the air on this remote colony will become unbreathable in a matter of weeks. As we prepare for our arrival, we pause to honor Starfleet Remembrance Day. All right, guys, that's the log that started off the episode. Every week, I ask you guys, the fans, what do you think about this week's episode of Star Trek, whether it's Picard, Discovery, Strange New Worlds, and then we read back on the show what you guys said, because we want you guys to be involved in it. And Eric, what did our Facebook fans have to say about Memento Mori? Well, our friend Chris Troni gave it a nine, uh, but he does say lowest score yet, so he's been scoring them pretty well. I uh, feel like they tried to pack too much into this submarine episode, and the quality suffered for it. Adding 10 minutes would have done wonders for the development. Loved Pike's expression when Ortega got mouthy. So thanks, Chris, for your opinion. Michael Childers gave it a 9.5. He said, favorite episode yet. It gave me vibes of DS9 season four episode Starship Down. And that's a very good thing. Uh, Our good friend Mark Newstrom gave it definitely a 9.5. Excellent performances by everyone. And thank you, Dr. Aaron McDonald, for keeping the science aspects plausible. Yay, bravo. Aaron McDonald is, of course, a science consultant on the show and she has been on a couple of podcasts out there in the ether. I've heard her speak. You should check her out. So thanks Mark for your opinion on that one. Uh, Mike Nayland gave it a 9.5 would have been a 10 if they showed an actual Gorn. Great episode though. Steve Everett said 10. It reminds me very much of TOS, but with strange new worlds, the transitions between scenes are much better and the way they're doing the show, we aren't being hit over the head with a lot of backstory all at once. Even each character's backstory gives us a reference to TOS, such as La'an and her familial backstory, and how it relates to the story. Khan might be a key story point, but La'an's colony ship was not part of the key Space Seed episodes. There were several colony ships of superhumans, perhaps more stories in that nugget. Uhura and Hammer was also some good backstory for Hammer and how they dealt with his injuries while solving a problem. I'm finding hard to decide who my favorite character is because 
They are all doing great jobs in developing them. So yeah, thanks, Steve. Great comments. Uh, top fan Lori Clark Antrim said a fabulous episode, definitely a 10. Felipe Ray said, as an isolated episode, nine. As for the series, if we consider TOS season one, episode 19, Arena, eh, not so much. This episode bent the canon. Ooh, Felipe, I'd love to have you call in and tell us more. Ed Hunter gave it a 10. I liked that it had Pike to have to make a call to save the ship, even though it meant sacrificing a crew. And the fact that the crew member decided to save the one who was trying to save him. Ah, let's talk about Kyle later on. We have only seen that previously in holodeck Sims or memory. Also liked that we never actually saw the Gorn. So here's somebody who likes that we didn't see the Gorn. Keep them the unseen monster under the bed, so to speak. Thank you, Ed. Top fan CJ Keenan gave it a five. I love the cast, but I prefer longer story arcs. Saving the world before breakfast is a bit much for me. And Marion Richard said, said about a nine for me. It had me on the edge of my seat, wondering how they were going to survive. So guys, that gives us an averaged out fan score of 9.1, which is the highest episode behind, of course, the premiere. For our fans, uh, fans gave the premiere 9.8. This is a 9.1, Ghost of Lyria, 9.0, and Children of the Comet, 8.8. So let's chat. Absolutely. So let's let's dive in. The first thing, you know, I do have some sound bites to play for you guys, of course. But the one thing I wanted to talk about, I've been bouncing around to a lot of other. Oh, we have a caller on the line, guys. Woo-hoo. I got to I got to look down more often. Um, yes. Yeah. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? You know, this is Anna from Portland, Oregon. Well, hello, Anna. How are you doing tonight? Well, how are you doing? I'm not doing too bad. I'm. I, we're we're Trek talking. It's Thursday night. <laughs> Well, it's really good to listen in, and thank you for the show. It is so much fun. I just love, you know, hanging out Mondays and Thursdays. So I'm listening in more tonight. I didn't get a chance to see the show this week because we moved and everything, but it's a lot of fun to listen in. Thank you. Well, are, are you a Gorn fan? No, I had actually a nightmare just the other night, and crocodiles have always terrified me, and alligators, but it was strange. It was like an ancestor message about getting up early in the morning. It was very strange, you know, just the crocodile face there, and then the lady who had been showing me the underwater little passageway we were going through. And it had these lobsters and little flowers and clams, and it was so awesome. And then all of a sudden, right there is this literal, and that's why I'm wondering what they really look like because, anyway, I got a lot of crocodile, like, look like an actual crocodile head. And then I saw the crocodile head on yours, on the Star Trek one, and I'm like, is that what they really look like for you? And sure enough, <laughs> posted. Well, I love Facebook, too. Like, I've come back to Facebook, and someone posted an early Kirk journeying 
to Gornland with, I mean, looked exactly like a little alligator head on a person, you know, so it was that same look. But this latest ancestor dream, it was more like, okay, he's just sitting there now, but be careful, he's there. He wasn't going to eat you, but you needed to be getting up early and kind of, you know, making the most of your day (laughs) was the message. But it was like a very tempered Gorn imagery. And then I started seeing it post up on on the internet. And so when that happens, it's just weird. When your dream state kind of continues in a weird way to the waking world anyway. It's just in my own head. You know, we see things all the time and associate them. But I was connected to it more dream state wise seeing it online than have very little unfortunate actual show watching except what popped up on Facebook you know, with Kirk and so forth. And they do look like an actual alligator head. So I'm just wondering, is that what the Gorn do look like? And why and how? It, who are these people, like, from your perspective, I guess, would be? I would love to know that if you did have the time. That would be my two cents for today. Well, we, we are definitely going to dive, take a deep dive into the Gorn, and we're going to go there. We're going to go there right now. Okay. We're going to talk about the Gorn. So... Let's do it. So, guys, um, in, in this episode, I think I do have. Uh, yeah, I do. We have. I have this clip to play for you guys. Um, if I can find it, oh my god, the pressure's on me and I'm failing. Um, this one here. It's ringing. Maybe ultrasonic cannon. Rain on fire. Suborbital plasma bombardment. No ships, no sensors, but my God, he's telling you something, Bill. Big! Come here, stop! Big! Hey. The monsters are coming! Hide! Honey, no monsters aren't real. What monsters? The one she took Daddy. No, Do you see something, Fig? It's dark. I didn't see it. But big noises. Like this. Onto bridge. We need to scan the area for polarized EM signatures. Quickly. What is it? I'm not sure yet. Sensors are detecting a slight optical distortion near the second moon. A hologram, sir. Raise shields now! Raise shields. Red alert! We can't. The transport tube. We can't raise shields. It's the Gorn. Dun, 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 dun. All right. So let's talk about the Gorn a little bit. So we know from TOS that the first, and that this is where the first time that the Federation knowingly, knowingly meets the Gorn is at Cestus Three. We know this from Arena, right? However, in this episode, we learned that Many people have had run-ins with the Gorn. They just don't live long enough to talk about it. So the Gorn in this episode are um, a pack, like a pack of wolves. They, they track down their prey as a pack, 
they run them down, they weaken them, then they take them and gut them and eat them and feed them to their young on some planet somewhere. And they're just not very nice uh, aliens to be around. So my question for you guys, which I've been hearing on a lot of other boards that, that I visit, is that they completely destroyed the cannon and, and wrecked the board by doing this. Because the Borg, or not the Borg, the Gorn were not like that on TOS. So what do you guys think? Do you think that turning, having the Gorn hunt in packs, sacrifice a ship to get the location, and setting up a trap, is that outside of what we know about the Gorn? Or, or Can I weigh in on that, Jim? Well, yeah, absolutely. That's what we're here for. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's really good to embrace the history of the show, which I think that, that you know, that this series is doing really, really well. But you cannot uh, – I think we need to be able to not just be chained to this thing called canon, that it becomes like, you know, it's like the folks who are like, you know, adhered to the original word of, you know, the Constitution or whatever. It's just like those were different people at a different age, right? It's just like, you know, we've evolved. The show has evolved. This is a TV show for a different time, right? I mean, we cannot – you want to see the same guy in a rubber suit walking around, uh, you know, two miles an hour like we saw in 1966? No. Things have evolved. <laughs> it's a different time. we got to move on. I mean, it's just, you know, for crying out loud. These – here we're evoking – Creatures that are similar in style. There's nothing dissimilar about them, right? Uh, being, you know, and what's great is we still haven't seen them, right? This is, uh, you know, a great minimal introduction to this threat, and it's scary uh, when this, the way that you first start hearing about, you know, uh, what happened to the colonists and you know aliens, right? It's like you're hearing bad stuff, but you're not seeing them, which makes them even worse. I dollars to donuts at some point. We will. And that's going to be really great. The fact that they haven't shown it to us yet. Right. Title of this episode, Memento Mori, basically means remember that you must die. Right. That's a phrase that comes from ancient Rome. Right. That they would, you know, reminding folks to keep your humility in place because none of us are around forever. And I feel like that would probably be something that is tattooed on La'an someplace. Right. Because she is just ferocious in this role here. Uh, Christina Chong is just unbelievable. She takes this and just works so well with it, but there's nothing that's uh, when you boil it down to its soup and soup and nuts gang, these are still the Gorn. This just because they maybe behave a little bit more, you know, acknowledging that, yes, we've had entertainment other than, you know, what was a guy in a rubber suit 50 years ago. Right. It's like, yeah, of course, we're going to make them more akin to, like, say, what we saw in the Predator movies. Right. Because it's more realistic. It's more uh, threatening. And to well, just say, oh, it violates canon. I mean, it's just canon. Shmanon. We got to not just be married to this thing, guys. It's going to make my head explode. I mean, truly. I mean, we got to evolve. And this show has been tremendously respectful to the history of Star Trek and to incorporating all the great things from the past of it. It's even using original series sound effects. But it's letting us evolve and see those old things in a new and fresh way. So what I would say is bringing back the Gorn this way, thank God. That's my perspective on it. Thank God they're willing to uh, change some things and, uh, and take it, <laughs> pick it up a notch. <laughs> well, Jim, your question was about, was about the pack hunting thing, and I think I have some, like, some actual back, backup information on that, that this is not 
out of uh, out of line, and I'd be interested to know who the people are that think it is out of line because, as far as I know, we have we actually have two interactions with Gorn uh, that happened in Star Trek canon prior to this. We of course have the arena one, and everybody will remember that the Gorn attacked uh, an outpost on Cestus Three, and in the Metrons saw that, and that is what caused them to transport the Gorn and the Federation to the arena planet so that they could have their their throwdown. So. We already know the Gorn from TOS from that particular episode in canon are aggressive, right? They go after uh, colonies. We also know that from the, at least in the mirror universe, the mirror universe Gorn that we see in, um, in Enterprise, they very much hunt like, uh, like raptors from Jurassic Park, right? They, they kind of come in pairs, they flank, they flank people, um, they, so they have a very predatory kind of behavior. So to me, this is absolutely right in line with what a Gorn should be. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't see why people have a problem with that. Yeah, I totally okay. agree. They true. didn't really de- delve deep into the whole Gorn history anyway in TOS. No. Or no, they don't. Yeah. Uh, our friend Nate brought up an interesting, interesting little visit. Where have we seen a Gorn also? One other place. Captain well, Lorca we had a Gorn skeleton in right. Discovery. <laughs> yeah. Right. Lorca had one, and yet it's interesting how he says, how come the crew didn't really know any details about it? But I wonder if most of the crew didn't know what it was and chose not to question Lorca about it. Yeah, I mean, well, the way I took that, Charles, was that uh, – from Enterprise, we know that the Mirror Universe Terran Empire is familiar with Gorn, right? And so to me, I figured that when Mirror Lorca came over to our universe, one of the first things he wanted to do was collect himself a prime universe Gorn. And that's why we see a big-headed Gorn skeleton in his menagerie versus the more kind of dinosaur-esque Gorn that we see in Enterprise, which I will still defend till the day I die, and I think it's possible that the Prime and Mirror Universe Gorn might look a little different from one another. Well, yeah. Scott, yeah speaking, of, speaking of looking different, I kind of want to answer Anna's uh, question about alligators. To me, I think the Gorn looks a lot closer resemblant to a Komodo dragon, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Komodo okay. dragon? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good comparison. Yeah. And and we know well, and we and we actually know that as of lower decks, guys, you remember you remember what we saw in lower decks? We saw a Gorn there too. Yeah. We saw a chef. Yep. A Gorn for chef. You, <laughs> <laughs> All I can tell you is my own little weird dream state that started popping up pictures and then I went on to Facebook. I've had that a couple of times. One time I dreamt of this rainbow literally in St. John's. Get up, have to run to work in like 15 minutes, literally jump in the car. Same rainbow right there. So it's unrelated to your born, perhaps, but I was just curious because that had popped up so similarly and right there. And it was literally the same little alligator head. And even looks more like an alligator than a crocodile, I have to say. But maybe even a mix. But he only didn't look that terrible this time. It was just kind of sitting there. And it was so similar to the throwback with the Kirk program. 
That's why I was just so tricked out. And it was almost cartoonish in each one. And it showed up separately like that. So anyway, thank you for your perspective. It's fascinating, you know, what causes us to create certain monsters. Or why. I don't know, but, you know. And let's, let's bring up Paul's mention of a man in a suit. Jim can't answer the question, but see if trivia, anybody else know? Remember who the main person known for being a Gorn is? Whacker. Absolutely. I probably shouldn't answer Jim can't either. answer because Jim knows it. <laughs> yeah, because I'm Anybody looking at it right remember? here. <laughs> if nobody else knows, I'll Eric? say. Yeah, sure. It's Bobby oh, Clark. Eric. Bobby yep. Clark. Yep. Which Star Trek, Star Trek, um, uh, the Star Trek convention in Vegas last year, Trek Talking was there, and who was our person to our left, uh, uh, to our right? Bobby Clark. Yep. We have the Gorn right there next to us. So La'an is the only, as far as we know, she's the only person alive that has seen a Gorn. Maybe there's others on the ship, Maybe, but as far as we know, she's the only one. So she has a unique perspective on the Gorn. And one of the things that I like about Strange New Worlds is that Captain Pike has a meeting with his staff in his ready room. Picard used to do that all the time. Not Kirk so much, but Picard always did that. And now here we see Pike doing that. He gets his officers together and he says, yo, what's the deal? What's going on? I want to hear from you guys. When he does this in this episode, La'an tells him all about the Gorn. And this is what La'an tells him. No shields and no weapons. What do we do? Throw luggage at them? And the Gorn? We're out here fighting the, the boogeyman? No one has even seen one. So... How are we supposed to take them on? I've seen them. They aren't supernatural, but they are monsters. The Federation teaches that if we can find a way to empathize with an enemy, then they can one day become our friend. They're wrong. Some things in this universe are just plain evil. Have you ever seen eyes that are both dead and hungry at the same time? To them, humans are just walking seed bags of flesh and bone and jelly that won't trigger uh. primitive ancient terror in warm-blooded species. We are prey. When they hunt, they're unrelenting. The truth is, plenty of people have seen the Gorn. They just don't live long enough to talk about it. So there's a lot to unwrap in that kind of dissertation, mm-hmm. huh? So yeah, first of all, awesome. she says, the Federation teaches us that if we can learn about our enemy, then we can eventually become friends, right? This is what, but she says they're wrong. So she's, she's yeah. right off the bat, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, I, mean, and I, it, I was just going to say, it's, I think that is kind of the, the really, to me, the most interesting part about this episode is that, as, as Paul was saying, it's called Memento Mori, which means, you know, 
uh, which has, which Paul already talked about. I'm not going to go over it again. You know, it's, it's basically um, the knowledge that everyone has to die. And to me, La'an and Pike share a special relationship in this episode because Pike, we already know, is operating the entire season knowing the exact moment of his death and knowing exactly when he's going to die. Um, and La'an has this kind of imminent knowledge and acceptance that she could have died and happened to be the one survivor. And she is very clear that she surprised by that experience. Um, you know, her acceptance uh, of, of that is just born by her experiences with the Gorn. And she's got this kind of fatalist attitude towards things, I think. And I think that's kind of what brings those two characters together in this episode. You know, there are a couple of moments, wonderful acting moments where they, um, they give each other the eye, uh, you know, they communicate non-verbally. Um, there's a great scene where they talk to one another and he talks to her about, about what it means to be a leader and offering hope to people, that sort of thing. So just, um, I love her character. I love what they did with her. And I love the connection specifically in the episode between her and Pike and their kind of shared, um, you know, knowledge of their own deaths. Although hers has already passed, I think she's still kind of is living with this trauma and hasn't definitely hasn't dealt with it yet. <laughs> she says to somebody in this episode, I'm fine. I don't need to see a doctor. I think she's talking to number one. And that's clearly a lie. <laughs> clearly. I, I want to come back to the um, being of a, of a Gorn. So one of our, um, one of our, uh, our uh, fans said that they, they were upset that we didn't see a Gorn. I want to I want to address that. Uh, like Paul said, a guy in a rubber suit in the '60s—that's the best they could give us. We only really ever saw two aliens on TOS, if you think about. It. Well, three. We saw the Horda, we saw the Gorn, we saw Tholian. All the rest of the aliens were just people with makeup on their faces, half black, half white, painted blue, painted green. That, that because that's what all they could do at that time, except for the Gorn in the rubber suit. Really ridiculous, really cheesy. He moves so slow that my grandmother in a wheelchair could get away from this guy. He wasn't a threat. Not by a long shot was he a threat. But he's iconic. The Gorn are iconic. Completely, absolutely, totally iconic. I did not like what they did with the Gorn on Enterprise. Unlike Eric, I didn't like it for the simple reason that I don't like the CGI. They did this with the thing. The original thing was great because it was all, it was real. The remake, although technically better, was worse because the CGI stood, was CGI in my mind. It just, I didn't like it. My yeah, concern, bite your tongue. Technically better. <laughs> you know, my concern. The original is awesome. If they, if they show us a, it, it, if they go with a Gorn and they try to make it a person in a suit or wearing makeup, it's not, I don't think it's going to come off well. If they try to CGI it like they did in Enterprise, I definitely, I don't know. I don't think I need to see a Gorn. I think leaving the Gorn on scene leaves all of us to wonder what it looks like in our own imagination and not have to put it on the screen for us. So I personally do not have a problem if we never see a Gorn. I don't I think at some point we probably will, Jim. We probably will. But my guess is because 
the cats on this show have just made such great judicious choices every step of the way, right? I think this was the episode that kind of, you know, if you go back to, uh, you know, Next Gen, right? Q Who, when they first introduced the Borg, right? It was like, they're coming, you know, it's just like they had an end game, a long game plan, right? This was just like the intro. And I think this is kind of that same vibe. This is like your intro episode to let people know, we're probably going to be seeing these people again. This is going to be another issue, right? But they've made really good calls when it comes to the things they've done. And I want to just remind uh, folks of the did for the alien we saw uh, on uh, Children of the Comet two weeks ago, right? Is when we saw that the shepherd alien on the view screen, right? I don't know if everyone's watched the Ready Room episode of that yet, but uh, that was amazing. That was an actor in a half appliance, right? It was like half his face was his own face and makeup. The rest of it was like animatronics and with just the little tiniest adjustment of CG to it. And it looked amazing, but they, they really, you know, hammered down on the, on the, the aspect that like not, they get it, that nothing is better than, you know, CG just does not convey realism the way that uh, physicality and practical effects do. I think that the folks on this show get that a lot. So my guess is when we see a Gorn, and I'm betting green money, we will. It's going to be a lot more like what we saw when we first saw the Shepherds, where it's a clever, creative, and convincing uh, tangible creature. So I'm excited for that. I, I'm, I don't know if it'll be this season. Or not. I mean, we're, we're just about halfway through season one now. So what's on the back end? I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if these uh, reptilian uh, chaps come back. Yeah, well, I kind of want to add it on to the uh, being able to see the going again because didn't Laon say that, uh, no, uh, that not all or that some people have seen a Gorn that's not lived to tell about it? What if the Gorn are hunting her? And are trying to get it and stuff. I don't know. It just makes me wonder if that's how they're going to bring the one back. You uh, mean hunting her anything? specifically? There are, maybe that's why they targeted the Enterprise. Because she's the one so that what, got away. Let's talk about that for a second. Uh, I have this in my notes here, so let's talk about that because it's a perfect segue. In this episode, we find out that the Gorn have a cloaking device. Well, no, they don't call it a cloaking device. The Gorn have a hologram that cloaks the ship. And they're hiding behind this hologram behind a planet. Technically, it's a cloaking device, but they don't call it that. Uh, was that not awesome? Uh, and, and we get to see the Enterprise extending its uh, gangway to the, um, to, the, uh, to the colony ship which we actually saw them deploy in Star Trek Discovery Season 2, which is a great tie-in to that as well. I thought that was really, really awesome. And the other thing I had in my notes that I wanted to mention, and we can talk about these things in any way we want to, I just don't want to forget, was the Spock mind meld with La'an. And during that mind meld, Michael Burnham's name comes up, which I thought, again, was, yep. was, was great. That they're, they're tying little threads. They're tying little threads into everything else that if you didn't catch it, no big deal. If you didn't know who it was, no big deal. But if you did know, it just kind of makes it that much better. So those were, the, those were the couple of points that I noticed in that particular scene that I wanted to touch on. 
What what, what did you guys think about okay. that? That they that the Gorn had a hologram, I guess. And I, I was going to go, go on back. to. I was going to talk about the mind meld. The mind meld looks so good, but it was interesting if you listen to Ready Room, you find out that when that actress read the script, she didn't realize what a mind meld was and didn't prepare for it and learned afterwards how important and how unique and special a mind meld is. First one for Strange New Worlds this season. And she realized later on, it's like, oh, wow, that is something special. And I think it was her reactions, like, yeah, and it was, she thought she did a better job of portraying that mind melt, not knowing what the mind melt actually was. And I thought it was really cool that the mind melt that Spock did, 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 see, there's my old, old ancient tongue tripping up again on my teeth. The thing that I thought was really cool about it is the mind meld was like Cybok did in Star Trek V when he did his whatever he did to the crew where he actually walked in and out of the mind meld with the person. I thought that was cool too. Okay, I just have to know, did anybody hear Leonard uh, Nimoy's voice when he said, mind, mind, your mind? No. Uh, no, I didn't. No, and the reason and the reason that I say no is that um, one of my, I, I, I first of all I thought the mind meld was really special, and I do like how Jim. I acknowledge that I do like how they uh, he was able to walk around and kind of enjoy the space of the mind meld and kind of relive the memory together. Uh, I thought that was a cool tie-in to the way that Cybox was able to do. It. I have to tell you though that. Um, I don't know, man. I, this may be sacrilegious, uh, but there are a couple scenes, particularly in this episode, where I've been a little bit unsatisfied with with our Spock's performance as Spock. And they and the the moments that I'm noticing are moments where he's asked a question, and the actor, the way that he portrays Spock, it's like Spock already knows the answer to the question before he's even had a chance to take it in. Um, there's, there's one uh, scene that happens on, uh, in this episode where uh, Pike asks him something on the bridge and he kind of, he's like calculations, da, 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 and he doesn't, it was, he literally delivers the line half a second after the question. So he didn't even really have any time to do calculations. This, this was another scene. I just find his performance a little Yes. Um, and we don't need to talk more about that if you don't want to or, or argue about it or whatever, but I just am finding our Spock's performance a little bit stiff, despite the fact that I like the scenes they're putting him in. Well, he is also pretty young, so, I mean, he's dealing with his emotions and stuff. It's true. I totally agree, David. And, I, you know, we do expect to see a slightly different Spock here than one that we've seen before. I guess I just want the the actor to maybe take a little bit more time. Doesn't it feel like he speaks really quickly too with Spock. I don't know. I just am comparing. I, I totally hear what you're saying. Right? You it's it's I mean? almost like yeah. he hasn't allowed enough realistic time to process the question or that he's just right. kind of responding quickly. I am going to be really, really curious to hear your pers- perspective on his performance after you see this week's episode that just aired today. Mm. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. I don't want to, yeah. you know, 
but I'm telling you, it, uh, it definitely, uh, I'll be curious to hear what you think. Can I, I, I think question, he's... Matt? Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Anna. What is which is the best place for all of you to watch Star Trek? Where do you well, think is uh, the best place? Well, the best the best place if you can afford it is to is to pay the six bucks a month or whatever it is to get Par- the Paramount Plus app. Um, Paramount okay. Plus has every okay. single episode yes. and and um, almost all of the movies okay. available. Okay. Um, so that's where we watch it most of the time. Okay, thank yeah, you. Yeah, they have. They have all Star Trek twenty four seven at your fingertips on any device. Yeah. Oh wow! And all you need is basic internet, basically, and you can get yeah. Paramount. Yep. yep. You can watch yeah. it on your phone, on your Kindle, on your laptop, on your smart TV, cool. anywhere. Okay. Cool. Thank yep. you. Which is great because I bring my Kindle up to camp and we'll sit around the campfire at night, and I'll just put on my headphones and yeah. watch an episode of Star Trek <laughs> while we're sitting around the campfire. <laughs> I mean, so, if you're, yeah, no, totally. Why not have the option, you know? So it's great. I, I enjoy it. So, uh, blah, 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 blah. yeah. Okay. Something else I wanted to mention to you guys, um, Lieutenant Ortegas, she doesn't have a big role in this episode, but a lot of fans were complaining about her wisecracks. <laughs> and uh, I didn't, I didn't soundbite. There was like, there was a few of them, but I didn't want to take time to soundbite each individual <laughs> one and then splice them all together. But I do want to say she reminded me an awful lot of Jordy in season one of TNG. Did you guys get that mm-hmm. vibe? I can see that because he did, he did ask a lot of kind of like what's going on questions when he was on the bridge there in season one. Yeah, when he sat next to Data, uh, he had a lot of those little one-liner type of deals. And she had quite a few in this episode. Now, I, I'm not complaining. I thought it was great no, no, no. a lot of the things and, that she came up with. And the thing is, Jim, is that, like, I, I personally, she is developing very quickly as one of my favorite characters. We haven't even had a focused episode on her yet. And don't you feel like you kind of know her? Like, you, you just like you see the way she interacts with people. We already know she was going to let that guy get his freak on last week until he smashed his head through the glass. We already know she's like one of the best pilots in Starfleet. We already know she's got uh, like strong opinions and yet will always follow the rules uh, every single time and just says, I, you know, somebody says do it. She's like, you better believe it. I'm going to do it. So I just love how much we already know about her character and we haven't even gotten really started yet. I love it. And in this, in this episode, she surfs a black hole, which I thought was cool. Yeah, she rides the donkey, man. Yeah, and the, and the, yeah I thought that was really cool. What I like did her. What she do? I'm sorry. What? Sorry, I like that's her. a reference. <laughs> that's a sci-fi reference back to Jim's favorite show. Yeah, no, she um, – they're, they're, uh, in the episode, there's a black hole that's sucking a, bl- a brown dw- – I think it's a brown dwarf. Yeah, or something yeah, in, into this yeah. into the black hole and pike asks her to surf the black hole and she you know she goes oh here we go into the black hole of death or she makes some comment like that and um i thought it was funny i like i thought I, i'm really liking her character I'm liking her I character did however like anton mouth's expression after she said that he was like you know his face <laughs> Well, there's that you know, moment uh, where she – do you have that one, Jim, that moment where he gives uh, La'an the look? 
Do you have that clip or no? Wait a second. I have okay. I have a clip here um, with Pike and Lahan, and it's I called it miracles. Let's give it a listen. I hold on. The enemy mm. doesn't care about my feelings, Captain, so I don't waste my time having any. Well, that may be true, but it's not looking that way to the crew. With all due respect, you know me well enough to know that I don't care what the crew thinks. I've always been blunt, that's just who I am. Direct, looking at outcomes, not emotion. Exactly. But right now, your job isn't just about orders, it's about hope. Belief can be the difference between victory and defeat. Get a crew to believe in miracles, and I just give you one. I will make that adjustment, but I will not lie to them. The best miracles are born from truth. Understood, Captain. Have I told you Mm. guys I love, I just love Anson Mounts Pike. He's just (laughs) like the man. Have I told you? (laughs) I don't know if I mentioned it, but but I I just love this guy to death. I just think he's just like the best captain ever. And we're only five episodes in. I mean, this scene in particular just really shows off his his captaining chops, right? This is kind of what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode, uh, where uh, the this is where you see their connection with one another. This is where Pike shows that he understands uh, where Lon is coming from, and he's like, "Listen, I know you got some stuff going on. I know you like to keep it real. I know that you can react and and keep us all safe when you need to. But if you want to be a leader, he doesn't say that." But the implication is, if you want to be a real leader, you have to know how to bring hope to those that you lead. And I just think that's a really, really important message that is going to help push La'an through her trauma um, after she sees a counselor, hopefully, uh, and, you know, give her kind of like strength from the the trauma that, that she's gone through. So I love this scene. And the other scene that I was talking about right before this was the one where, um, you know, Ortega's on the bridge is like preparing to engage the enemy. And Pike just has to look over at La'an and La'an's like, steady she goes. And Ortega's just is like, I, and they just keep going. I love that scene too. That's total perfect execution, perfect nonverbal communication between Pike and La'an. This reminds me of the, the speech that Pike gave in Discovery season two, you know, when he yeah. comes aboard the ship and he's like, look, you know, there's my yeah. F, ignore it. And he calls the crew call, by right. name. He's just, he's like the, he's like the cap. He's like the cap. Like if I was going to be on a starship, it would be with Pike. I just, you know, I would follow him anywhere. Well, so, so just, that's a great, those are great bookends for Pike too, Jim, because what you're saying is that Pike in that scene in discovery, what does he do? He comes on a ship where nobody knows who he is and nobody trusts him because they all just got screwed by a mirror universe dude. And he comes on and he's like, listen, I'm an open book. Let me show you everything. Let me call you all by name. Let me make it very clear I'm going to ask your opinion and then follow up on your opinions. So he can take it to the group level. And yet we've got this scene with La'an, which is one-on-one. He can take it down to that microcosm and, and really relate to people on a one-on-one level too. So just a guy with a lot of, a lot of range. And if you think about it from his character standpoint, incredible that this man is living with the weight of his own death and yet still always choosing to do the right thing, right? He shows integrity beyond almost any other captain we've seen simply because he goes on despite the knowledge of his own death. And there's yeah, a scene in this episode where, where um, War, Spock makes some comment like, 
if we go deeper into the brown dwarf, it could crush us. And Pike says, that's a great idea. Dive, idea. go deeper. Yeah. And Spock's like, that's not what I said. <laughs> and they, they dive and they dive and they dive. And Ortega says, you know, the hull is collapsed and we lost one crew. We can't go any deeper. And he orders, he says, full stop. And he orders the crew for close combat. Get the weapons. If they, if they think they're going to take us. And what happens? The Gorn ship implodes. Now, at that point, he was he was almost admitting defeat. He was like, "Well, if they think they're going to take us, they're not. We will fight." And the Gorn ship implodes. And what does he do with that? He turns it around, making the crew think that he was using their aggressiveness as a weapon against them, and that he planned it that way, and gave the crew hope that he actually knew what he was doing. And I thought that was a great little analogy going on there. You know the scene I'm talking about. Yeah. Yep. Let's back yeah. let's back up a little bit in that in those scenes. And they're like, Okay, we're going into this brown dwarf and we don't have sensors. Well, what if we send out this how they, how they term it for this blip and they realize, Oh, we can use sonar here. It's like, well, let's treat the Enterprise like a submarine and use sonar to track them. It's like, that's a unique, I think, very creative way of going in and dealing with an alternative way to do sensors. And it was even, it was even more alternative than that, Charles, because they didn't use sonar. They actually tracked the Coriolis effects that the nacelles caused in that region of space as they drove through it. So they didn't even have to send out a blip and get a ping back because that would have alerted the Gorn that they were there. They literally were tracking like the trail behind the Gorn ship and that's how they kept track of them. Unbelievable way of thinking about it and just super creative. Yes. And this this is another good episode to catch ready room because the end of the show, after the interviews, we get a great interview with one of the science science reps of Strange New Worlds, and she describes exactly what a brown dwarf was, exactly what a black hole is, and showing us the fact that, yes, all this stuff we're doing in the screen, this isn't science fiction. This is science. This is factual material. It's like, okay, we're taking in real science. In, in going into here and it's like, wow, I did not realize it was that factual. But it made the episode even better. So what did you guys think about the fact that the Gorn communicate through lights? We just saw that in Discovery <laughs> when they communicated with the aliens. And now here the Gorn are using lights and on had the, I don't know what you want to call it, the Morse code, I guess. Um, yeah. Of what the lights meant was it Morse code? I, I don't know what it else wasn't to call Morse, it. but it, it was, literally was a form of Morse code. Yeah. Yeah, Gorn code. <laughs> and uh, was able to communicate with the Gorn using flashing lights. I thought that was a really unique way of communication because who says communication has to be verbal? Yeah, that's cool. Anytime they can step outside and give us any other types of communication, I'm on board. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was a really because I mean, and it act, and Jim, it actually like makes a lot of sense if you think about it. So if we headcanon this just a little bit, 
what is one of the most notable uh, aspects of the rubber suit Gorn dude? It's his big old bug like rainbow eyes, right? And so yeah. if you kind of if you kind of headcanon this a little bit and you go, oh, okay, they uh, communicate with flashing lights. It makes a lot of sense that they would have these big eyes that are meant to you know sophisticatedly pick up light signals or whatever. Yeah, kind of uh, yeah. it now canon. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Boom. Yep. Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. Head cannon complete. Mic. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought, well, I thought that was great. We all communicate with light. At some level, light. it's sort of universal communication. Yeah, they, the they did communicate it. The sun with me at dawn this morning. It's like, get up. <laughs> I got Time up to wake for a minute up. with it. Yeah, but I got up for a while. Sometimes it's like it's just you get up and that's it, you know. So let me see. What else did I have to talk? Oh yeah, okay. So um, let's talk a little bit about this. Is the second time that Laan assumes the post of number one while Una's incapacitated. So in, out of the five episodes, Laan has been number one twice of the five episodes, which is actually quite a bit when you think about it. But while she's first officer, while she's on the bridge dealing with the Gorn and everything else, number one is down in sick bay and she's got her guts ripped open or whatever happened to her. She's, and they're going to do surgery on her and they have no power in sick bay. So Mbenga turns to chapel and says, you studied ancient medicine. How are you at sewing? And she says, aces. And then they actually sew Una back together again, which, which if you think about it on Star Trek is, is like, Stone knives and bear skins, right? Would you say? <laughs> Basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, more or less. Yeah. Yeah, but more or less. Said, I, I love that she says aces, Jim. Right? I mean, was that not like a like a nineteen twenties <laughs> response? I mean, I just loved it. <laughs> so yeah, cute. I just I love the way she said it and the way they they pulled it off. And then as they're going to put her under. They only had one quarter left there. I forgot that. Whatever. They only had enough blood for one person, and one of the other officers, Bay, is dying. And Una says, give her my blood. I don't need it. That's an order. So she's going to sacrifice herself for that dude over there. And then we cut back to the bridge. Then we cut back to sick Bay, and Una's not dead. She's still alive. And how, why is she alive, Eric? Uh, well, I mean, we all are assuming that it's because of her Wolverine healing factor, um, because she's got <laughs> she's got <laughs> genetics that allow her body to. We already know it can cure a uncurable disease instantly. It just purges it right from her system, right? And so maybe we're seeing another uh, another example of this, which is why uh, when Chapel sees her in the in the hallway and she's like, "How are you?" Or not Chapel, sorry, it's it's Uhura sees her, and she's like, "I'll be fine." She's like. Yeah, I got some holes in my gut, but it's all good. But I'm fine. No, I was going to say because Mbenga gave her a blood transfusion right from his arm to hers. Oh, that scene. Sorry. Yes, I missed. Yes. No, you're right. That's a great scene yeah. where they, you see the hose in between the two of them. And it's like, here's your lifeline. And I thought that was, that was, just, that was just great the way, they, the way they did that. Yeah. 
even though it wasn't a big scene, it was it was something fun. I just that I wanted to mention because I really like Nurse Chapel. I like the way uh, Jess Bush is portraying the character. I like like the way she's written, and I just like the way she said aces, and then there she is sewing her back together. So I wanted to I wanted to get that um, in there. So um, yeah, okay. So was there anything else I want? Oh yeah, one more thing I wanted to ask you guys. Actually, Eric brought this up earlier. So, who do you think is a better first officer, Una or Laan? We've seen them both assume that position so far. Both times, Una was in sick bay or incapacitated with an illness or whatever. But who do you think? Do you think Laan has what it takes to be number one? Paul, you've been awful quiet. What do you think? No, I've just been, uh, you know listening to you guys go um i think does laon have what it takes to be number one i would say absolutely um in fact i i think at this point uh, i love all the actors on the show a lot you know i'm fond of everybody but i think laon at this stage is a little bit sharper drawn character than number one is we there's still a lot of we got some some vague stuff i mean to me the background of her being number one being an illyrian that's not a character uh, I'm talking about behavior and and things like that. And I think that Laan is much more sharply drawn as a character. She's got uh, much more uh, that we're able to describe in terms of how she engages about things. I mean, you played that one clip earlier, right? She is constantly looking for a threat, right? She's perfect in that role for being a a security officer because she's Im- immediately it's like she can smell. The, the, the chance that there's a vulnerability and she's immediately quick to recognize, okay, I need you to scan for this. As soon as she gets the results, put the shields up now. She's super protective and thinks really quickly to protect the collective good. So she's definitely got the chops to be a, a strong number one. I mean, if she has an Achilles heel as a character, it's the, and we've seen this in a couple of instances, that she's really still, you know, she's a victim of trauma. She is slave to her emotions, right? Because she's got so much stuff like that that is in her background. And she's still recovering from it. She's still finding her way through it. And that's really probably going to be her arc for the whole season, especially if there's a future Gorn confrontation down the road for her, which I'm betting there will be. But, uh, but yeah, she's, she's oftentimes, like it was a week or so ago, she froze in a situation, right? And she had to uh, you know, overcome that. Right, she's absolutely competent, but she's very, very much, uh, you know, still dealing with trauma and getting over her emotions. I don't know that we've really seen yet a super great example of number one's uber competence that's analog in the same way. It almost seems like right now, Laan's a better first officer because she's just a more sharply drawn person and a more capable in a crisis. I think we're starting to get there, though, uh, with uh, with number one. Uh, I think if you especially watch, it's in, I'm, it's interesting what they did this week with number one. I'll just say that. Let's revisit that next week. But uh, but yeah, she's she's terrific. They're, you know, I think she's a, a strong character, very capable. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that I think Laan is a is, has a better backstory, and at this point in time, is a better in character than number one uh, number one other than the Illyrian thing they haven't given her much of a chance to really shine yet 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 
I was sure talking to my wife will. about that night. I said I felt like, you know, it's kind of interesting that in the first four episodes, you know, we've already had uh, number one uh, missing and needing rescue in the first one, and then this one getting injured and kind of being taken out of the game. So I couldn't agree with Paul more. He said it very succinctly. Um, we just don't know enough about her to know if she – I mean, obviously, we all kind of have this – this clue and we all have the picture of Majel Barrett in our, in our head as well, where we know uh, number one is going to become the ultimate first officer. Pike has already said as much uh, to her, but as I said back then, when he said that uh, they just haven't shown it to us quite yet, but uh, I think they'll get there. Like Paul said. Yeah. I'm less worried about that after today's episode. I, I am. Yeah. I think, uh, I think they did a really nice job of giving her more. Which is, I think we've just, you know, there's no questions that she's super tremendous actor, but she just needs more. And it just isn't on the page for her yet. You know, she's almost been one of those characters who becomes more of a plot catalyst than an actual person you have, you know, defining characteristics of, if you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, right? Where mm-hmm. she's like more of an engine to make stuff happen, to drive the circumstances of the plot. But it's just like, what is she feeling? What, is, what are her foibles what are her dreams what are her strengths what are her fears right we haven't gone there yet really at all and uh, and i think we're just now starting to which is great because just all the other characters terrific uh and and just so sharply drawn um love this cast so so much well and in terms of the lawn character you know i i just kind of was having this thought um I think one of the reasons that maybe she is such a great character and is so well-developed already in the series is in some ways, to me, she's like an updated version of maybe a couple of characters that we've uh, seen in the past, uh, but then also kind of lives on her own. She is very familiar in some ways to Tasha Yar from TNG uh, in that she grew up uh, you know, with this trauma, with Tasha Yar, it was where the planet she literally grew up on. Um, and and with La'an, it's this kind of one incident. But there's a, a trauma background. They both reacted, uh, Tasha Yar always reacted immediately. She was like, ray shields, always, ready to fire photons. Like, she just was, like, ready to go. But then La'an feels like she also has the steady hand of, like, a Malcolm Reed from Enterprise, who was an amazing security officer always offering the captain lots of great alternatives um never firing photons unless he needed to fire photons but always thinking of all of the ways people could mess up the ship and trying to defend against that and i feel like that's that's what what laan is bringing to the table it's a nice combination of those two characters to me before we run out of time guys i want to one more thing i want to ask you about before we get to our scores and of course, we have we have to do hammer time too, so don't forget about that. What did you think about Federation Remembrance Day? I thought it was amazing. I mean, I thought, it was a really I cool that was concept. Great. It's like that's how they introduced the episode. Yeah. It was like with a close up of the Puget Sound pit, right? I mean, that, that was a wonderful. Uh, it was like you almost sort of had the reaction of. Well, of course, this is something that we've always – you accepted it immediately, and it, all, it felt like something that had been in the lore of Star Trek forever. It was a perfect fit, right? I well, mean, it was I'm just good. one of those things that, that, that just seemed was like the name of this planet, right? I mean, the name of the planet, perfect fit, right? It just sounds so Star Trek. It's just amazing. But, yeah, I thought it was great, and I love that, that <clears throat> add to the backstory. In this case, you know, 
uh, Lodge ship wasn't like a Federation ship. It wasn't a starship. It was a colony ship, right? But even still, that's incorporated in there, and it's such a great freaking device. The lawn yeah. doesn't wear the pin, right? She's just like, I don't want to dwell in the past. I need to move on, right? She's all about that, and she's just in denial to the, the full degree that trauma screwed her over, right? So she doesn't wear the pin. And then at the end of the episode, she does. She's gone through the arc. She's made that change. So it was just like super creative apt storytelling it felt like it was appropriate to the whole legacy of what star trek is and it served the character so i was a big fan of remembrance day except i need to be able to get myself a puget sound because that was so now (laughs) (laughs) what was really good about it too was that it was just in time for memorial weekend Mm -hmm. yeah that's a really really good point i wonder if they map that out like that david in advance because that's an excellent point it really what everyone had that on our minds last week, right? It was really positioned very beautifully and poignantly. So that's an excellent point. Now, was everybody on the ship wearing the same pin, or did everybody wear a different pin? I, I didn't catch that. No, they wore you wore the pin of like either a previous posting or a person that you wanted to remember. Right. Oh, Ideally, so everyone had a ship a different... you both served on that somebody had, right. had passed away on, or so that right. somebody else. A ship that someone you knew that they served on. So everyone had a bunch of different pins on. Which was great. Okay. Uh, I love it when they first talk about that and then you see a couple of people walking through the halls and kind of nodding at each other, assuming that those, you know, they previously served on another ship together and kind of recognizing each other in that way. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just thought that was just uh, incredibly well done. And just uh, what a great piece. I mean, the, the, you know, uh, the writing for me... You know, on on you know, we're f- halfway through the series, right? And so far, I've just been so uh, lighted. What's going on on this? Uh, really, uh, a lot. I don't know, I'm just you know, it's, it's so focusing on character and, and coming up with these great ways to bring fresh perspectives to the tried and true, you know, uh, origins of Star Trek. So I, I'm just really pleased, friends. Oh well. Can I yeah. add something? Oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, David. Yep. Yeah. Has anybody else noticed that um, when the entire crew was kind of questioning Pike's orders about going into deeper into the black hole, that he said that he believed in the Enterprise? Oh yeah. That it will hold up. Yep. Did anybody else catch yep. the deeper meaning behind that? Lay it on us, David. No, well, let, let us let us in on the secret. Well, I don't know if it's a secret, but it was interesting to think that since Pike believed in the Enterprise, that it wouldn't collapse and everything. I thought it was really interesting. A deeper part of that was because he knew his future. He wasn't going to die there. Yeah. He knew that the Enterprise was going to survive one way or the other. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. That is a great, great point. And I wonder if as we see the series go on, if we will continue to see Pike kind of put the crew into what, what might normally be considered more perilous situations because of his foreknowledge, you know, he put a lot of faith in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that's if, a great if, point, uh, David, that you made there. And it ties into a line of dialogue that I think is like, if you could pull out one line of dialogue, this is like the, the thematic connective tissue for this whole season, in particular this last week's episode that we're talking about, I think it's that whole line of not believing you're going to die is what gets you killed. 
Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that, that, that keeps rearing its head, right? From Lawn to Pike to everything that you're talking about there, David. I think it's an excellent point. Uh, and I think we're going to keep seeing that. It's almost like a theme that's weaving its way through this whole season. So really interesting. Uh, well, and and great testament to the, to the work of the writers. And don't forget Pike's line from the cage, too, which I think you have to keep in mind as you watch Anson Mount's Pike. Um, you know, the original Pike says, there's a way out of any cage and I'll find it. And so he's got this attitude that no matter how bad it gets, man, as long as we stick together, we will find a way out of this. And I love that concept, right? It's that it's once again, we've talked about it in discovery and, and that sort of thing. Togetherness will win the day. And that's another theme that's now coming through. Now, um, uh, Chancellor Lorel is still around now, right? Yeah, because yeah, Chancellor Lorel is still around. So we, there's a chance we could see see the Klingons show up at some point. I I would right? bet you that they're gonna. I mean, it's chance. I don't know. If I was a betting man, I would bet that they're gonna stay away from Klingons at least one. But maybe yeah. later. But, uh, I don't think you're gonna. I don't, be be yeah, I don't okay. think they might show Klingons. It could probably be a, a mention. I love Laurel. Well, guys, um, <laughs> we're just about out of time. So before we run out of time, though, there's one more time we have to do. Stop. Have a time. Every time you see me, got hammers just so hype. I'm going on the floor and I'm magic on the mic. Okay, you know what that sound bite <laughs> means, don't you? It's time for our hammer words of wisdom. And here they are. And horror for the win. Uh, stay awake. Okay, let's get you talking. Uh, so, and Enar, Starfleet. How's that even work? Thought you guys were all pacifists. I actually wanted to be a botanist. I will not fight for Starfleet, but I will defend its ideals. Pacifism is not passivity. It's the active protection of all living things in the natural universe. It's a matter of perspective. Like using touch instead of spite. I wouldn't know. I'm giving you high marks on your assessment today. You impressed me after all. Assuming that will still matter. Thank you. Humans waste so much life worrying about death. The Enar believe the end only comes once you have fulfilled your purpose. It provides meaning. I, I like that. So what was your purpose? To fix what is broken. You can throw in teaching. Maybe even being inspiring. A little. And you? What do you feel is the purpose of your life's path? I really don't know. I mean, I'm not going to die. There's only one way to find out. So there's our hammer words of wisdom wow. for this episode. So for everybody that was it's wondering about Enar, now we know. And I like his description, too. He, he will not fight for the Federation, but he will fight to defend their um, convictions. So there, it's yeah. a matter of perspective. Didn't Obi-Wan say that in Star Wars? 
well, it's a matter of perspective. <laughs> and it's a very it's a very good lesson, right? Because I mean, the camera's point there is that just because you're a pacifist doesn't mean that you can't be active, right? And a pacifist can be active. They just uh, they just don't do it with lasers <laughs> or phasers. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like I like I like Hammer. I really and I like I like what they did with Ahura in this episode. We didn't talk about that, but she's down in in the cargo bay with Hammer, and she's she's you know I I gotta I gotta bring this up. I'm sorry, I almost forgot. There was one thing that really bugged me. I oh, mean, it bugged it me is. a lot about this is. episode. Now, if you guys <laughs> listen to the podcast before, there was a scene in Discovery. Where the 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 uh, spore drive blows up, the camera goes inside the spore drive, and on the top of the spore drive door, there's a hydraulic door opener which I work on every single day in the office building that I work in. And right away I was like, oh come on, really? In the future they still have hydraulic door openers? Come on. Well, to be fair. There was a moment like that in this episode, and I, I got to get this out of the way. When Hammer and Ahura are trapped in the cargo bay, and Pike says, well, the transporters yeah. aren't working, but we'll get a crew down there to dig you out, and the camera swings over to the door, and we see debris piled in front of the door. Oh, my God. Somebody, what yeah, is like piled on top building. of the what, What's piled on top of the door? Wooden... <laughs> Wooden freaking <laughs> pallets. I'm like, are you kidding me? I saw the pallet. Me? I was like, really? What? Really? This uh, this is the best that they could come up with. Would they go behind the the, the factory and just, oh, then we'll have some Pepsi pallets throw it on there. That bugged me. That no, 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 don't forget, right guys, it's made out of styrofoam. It was a styrofoam pallet. Well, <laughs> I'm like, oh. All the greatness in this episode, all the greatness in the show, and they throw a wooden pallet on in front of the door. Okay, okay that kind of like, okay. I knew. There, I got it I out knew, of the way. I was 100% positive that was going to be your nitpick because I know yep. how you love, like, modern furniture in Star Trek. But let me just tell you, I have, since we have a little time. Let's go through Eric's nitpick corner this week. I have four nitpicks, okay? Oh, Eric has some nitpicks besides the wooden pallet? I usually don't, but I have four, I have four nitpicks this week. The, the pallet was number one. The second one is when the ship starts heating up because all of the environmental controls are going wacko, Spock should not be sweating. He's from Vulcan, dude. It's like... It's like 10, 15, 50 degrees hotter on Vulcan. He should not be sweating like the rest of the crew. The, the crew did not dig that. Um, third nitpick, Pike utters some Trekno babble about how the higher mass of the Gorn ship is going to magically pull the photon torpedo towards it that they drop like a bomb which is exactly the same problem that they had in that Star Wars movie where they dropped a bunch of things out into space where there's no gravity and somehow they bomb things with no gravity. But anyway, (laughs) and then the fourth nitpick is the fact that they're leaning as they're drifting around the black hole. I was like, really guys, you're leaning like, like you're in a sports car drifting around a corner. Okay. All right. I get it. (laughs) Well, with, We'll have to we'll have to have Eric's nitpick corner. It'll have to be a new segment from now on. Well, 
Actually, I will throw. You are such a realist for a science fiction fan. It is just mind blowing. One more in for my friend Nate. Did nobody and else? The, the palette didn't bother anybody. Am I the only one that was bothered by the palette? No, I said that was my number one. I was bothered okay. by it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, all I right. had four problems. That was my number one. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> I will throw in. I will throw in a Nate nitpick. Where he sits there and says he kind of lost it a little bit in them evacuating the oxygen in the cargo bay because Ohura is in the future. She has to live. And he felt like that was a bit of a non-moment because... Other crew members might die off. That's one crew member that won't die or can't die off because she's already part of the future. Well, I mean, I mean, not not to not to nitpick the nitpick, but we know we know that number one can't die. We know that Pike can't die. We know that Spock can't die. We know Ohura can't die. We know Chapel can't die. We know Mbenga can't die. So, so half the, we already know that no, that really yeah really nobody in the crew except for La'an, can die. Because <laughs> yeah. they all make it to later. But listen, before we run out of time, guys, I want to get our fan scores and what we thought about this episode. So let's start off with David. Scale of 1 to 10, David, what would you give this episode? Was it gorn-tastic for you? Oh, it was so trouble. I'm not kidding, no. <laughs> uh, I I actually yeah it was pretty fantastic I I enjoyed this episode I really liked how it was kind of like a Wrath of Khan 2.0 um, hunt for Red October type of episode it was interesting um, I'm gonna give this a, a 9.8 Wow high high scores from David Paul what do you think you're gonna be with the fans or be with David Yeah I'm right there between you know I don't like to I, like I'll have a fan of round numbers, right? But I, I'm gonna give it a, I think a, you know, between a nine and a ten. I mean, coin flip, really. You know, I mean, this is a, a dynamite uh, episode without any question for me. Um, I love the fact that it's part of that same legacy of taut, uh, almost military style submarine warfare thrillers. Uh, the, it's the same connective tissue that gave us Balance of Terror from the original series, basically, right? It's like, you know, you do an old U-boat movies like The Enemy Below. But, you know, reinventing it, it was just impeccably well-directed, super tight, really engaging. And they don't drag, you know? They just keep moving along. So, And then a lot of good character moments. So for me, if you can have that kind of mix of action and drama together, that's good Star Trek. And uh, I loved it. So, yeah, high marks for me, man. High marks for me. Super excited to see what's next. All right. What about you, Charles? Uh, I think, try to think of bouncing it from the first episodes, this first three episodes to this one. I think I'm going to push it to a 9.25. Still very respectable. I mean, Fans yeah. gave it a 9.1, so we're we're still yeah we're still in that area. And how about you, Eric? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm right up there on this one. I'm going to give this one a 
two, I will say that the scene between Laon and Pike in the ready room there where he talks to her after she gets all freaked out about the Gorn is one of my favorite scenes uh, in the show so far. So great scene, 9.2 overall. You know, I'm going to go with a 9.5, I think. And that's because um, I really like how every time they had a problem and they thought they solved it, they found themselves in a bigger problem. So, you know, they solved problem one and, uh oh, well, now the brown dwarf is shrinking. So now what are we going to do? And every time you thought they solved the problem, another one popped up and it just seemed impossible. How are they going to get out of this? And then at the end, they did. I loved it. The suspense was there. I particularly liked the music. The music went really well with what was happening in the scenes. And I loved what they did with all the characters. They all kind of had a moment in the spotlight. So, yeah, that's, that's my take on it. And um, so, yeah, we're just about out of time, guys. So I want to I take a moment here to say thank you. Thank you to Anna for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Anna, thank you so much. I hope you had a good time. My pleasure. Thank you for the show. You're very, thank very you. welcome. And, of course, thank you to David for hanging out. He didn't bring any donuts tonight, but that's okay. Thank you, David. <laughs> well, I just remember what Pike said. Take one problem at a time. That's right. One donut at a time. That's all you can do. One donut at a time. <laughs> and of course, thank you so much to Paul, the wine guy. Thank you, Paul. My pleasure, man. Good to be here. And of course, we got to say thank you to Eric. Thanks for Trek talking with us, Eric. Absolutely. Had a blast. And remember that uh, you all have to die one day. So, uh, you know, how are you going to live your life is the important part of that. That's right. And thank you so much to our very own out in Las Vegas, Charles. Thank you, Charles. Oh, thank you very much. Great, great Trek talking day and lots of Trek going on for me. And I guess we're going to see a Spock Spock versus Spock next. Yep, we will. Something like that. I I don't want to ruin it, but yeah, something like that. And I want to let you guys know that on Monday night, We're going to go back and take a look at Picard Season 2. Now that we have seen the entire thing, now that you can go back and binge watch all 10 episodes back to back to back to back to back instead of waiting a week to week, week, we're going to go back and tell you guys what we thought about it. We have all the fan scores from our Facebook page. So we're going to go back and take a look at and revisit Star Trek Picard Season 2 share our thoughts and compare that to what our fans thought about the season overhaul. So that'll be Monday night at seven 30. And uh, we'll be talking about tonight's episode, Spock Amok next Thursday, same bat time, same bat channel. I'm your most excellent host, uncle Jim saying to everybody, please be safe, be good to each other. Star Trek fans are the best fans. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Live long and prosper. Let's see what's out there. Engage. With 
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.